Well, hello and welcome to Manx Radio Countryside's podcast with Kiri Kermode and Simon Clark, And this the last in the series and, uh, well, you know, a, a mixed bag, as always, we try and get on Countryside. Uh, you've been talking uh, um, to Martin from the RSPB uh, about a recent uh, survey that's been going on. Yes, the Big Garden Bird Watch has just happened in January with people across the UK counting the birds that are entering their open spaces or their back gardens. Over 7.5 million birds in total were spotted and it was really great to hear Martin's views on the, on the whole survey there and uh, the different uh, increases and decreases in numbers of the birds they yeah, spotted. Yeah, it is, and of course... Uh connected very closely with the Manx Wildlife Trust and they've been out and about last week in the north of the Isle of Man at Ramsey with a roadshow and a wonderful display and exhibition that they had on there with various people talking. I catch up with Dawn Dickens who's the Biodiversity Education Officer at the Manx Wildlife Trust and I chat with her. And also uh, we start with, of course, uh, the news last week with Tim Baker on the programme that... um, the meat plant has got this deal, of course, with a UK-based company for hopefully increase our outlet of uh, the export of Manx meats, uh, which would save a lot of the uh, live export of animals off the Isle of Man. And this seems to be a problem more so probably around different parts of the world. And uh, I catch up with Polly Foley, who's uh, running a campaign to try and uh, stop this and curb it out, the live export of animals. We hear from her first in this week's Countryside. <laughs> The export of animals has increased for beef 400% for those beef that are under 18 months old and 1100% for those that are older. With sheep, lambs have increased by 1800% all since 2009. Now these animals are not, not being bred to sell their meat locally because the price of meat locally is an awful lot less than the farmers would receive if they export the beef and the, sh- and the lambs to those countries that are not capable of growing their own grass. So they can't grow the animals, they can't grow the grass, they buy them in. The cost of transport subtracted from the profit still provides an enormous amount of profit and even if you take into account the fact that we've only got one slaughterhouse on the Isle of Man um, these animals are being bred specifically for export they're not being bred and finding a problem slaughtering them here they're being bred for the money for export um, now export itself if you if you imagine yourself as an animal in a field you're rounded up you're loaded onto a lorry, you're loaded onto a ship. You do what's the equivalent of a four, five, six hour journey across to the UK. When you get to the UK, you're unloaded. If you're feeling a bit disoriented, tired, upset, not sure where you're going, a rod and an electric charge gets shoved up your bum. This is legal in the EU and the shocked and sent off to the next area. They're held in holding pens when they get there, ready for loading again onto the next ship. When they're loaded on the next ship, if they're going to the Middle East countries that can't produce their own grass, then they can be on board ship for several weeks. If you can imagine a baby left in a nappy for 24 hours, the smell, the soreness, the sheer misery for that animal, These animals, cows, sheep, pigs, 
are left in their own urine, which turns to ammonia and burns. They're left in their own poo, slipping and sliding for the total period of this time, two weeks. They can't stand for the whole two weeks, so they lay down. They get trampled on, they get injured. Broken injuries cause septicemia, septic masses, ulcers. Very often, at least some of the animals die, and a lot of them arrive in Middle East countries sick and injured. When they get there, if they can't walk down the plank, it's the same old thing again, an electric prod up the bum, and they're sent on to the next, next stage. Once that has happened, they're out of EU control. As far as the EU is concerned, they are supposed to control to the destination, but this in fact doesn't happen. So the, the rules and the regulations that have allowed, by the way, all these animals to get in this condition by this point anyway, even those brief rules cease as soon as they get out of an EU country. They're loaded into lorries, their journeys can be several days more, even weeks more to where they're going. When they get there, for the larger animals, very often they have a cloth tied round their head, they're hit over the head, and they're hoisted by a back leg and gutted. Now when I say this, the killing in Middle Eastern countries is really very little worse from the killing in the UK. Animals that are killed in the UK have to be, by law, stunned. But if you think of trying to stun a terrified, active animal, it's very difficult. And many animals are stunned incorrectly. Many animals are not stunned at all. And those that are stunned, stunning is not permanent. An animal that is unconscious because it's been stunned, it may be, when it comes round, incapable of moving, but... Victims of torture in other countries who've undergone the same treatment have told us that although they cannot move, they are fully conscious and they can feel every bit of pain even though they can't move. So animals in the UK are strung by a back leg. They can come round partway through the process and can be aware of what's happening to it and feel the pain. This petition takes part of the process, it takes the transport and protests against it, but the whole picture is that animal slaughter anywhere in the world is never humane. It's always cruel, it's always unkind, and the really only way of dealing with it is not to eat meat and animal products. But, but obviously with the, with the news that the Alaman meat plant have got an outlet in the UK now, they're paying higher prices, surely this will lower the amount of live exports that's going to happen. When you consider that live export is for increased money, I don't see how this will have that much of an effect if they get paid more for sending them to Turkey than they do for sending them, um, eating them locally or whatever. They're going to send them to Turkey. From what I gather, they're well vetted, they're checked by vets before they go away, they've got to be fit to travel... Um, I think a lot of the Isle of Man um, cattle wagon drivers are, are born and bred into the agricultural world. So you'd like to think that they can know how to handle them and treat them and, and get them over there successfully. I know it's probably not ideal, but I, I think the Isle of Man government and the meat producers are, are trying to reduce the number of live exports for the look of it. They may be trying, but money will always win in the long run.
and exporting anyway, if you're exporting, if you incarcerate an animal for two weeks with a lot of other animals and don't clean it out, they're still going to arrive in a terrible condition. They're still going to arrive injured, some of them sick, some of them dying, some of them dead. Do you think the Isle of Man, the ones who do live export, um, do you think they know where the final destination of the animals are? Or do they just think that they're actually going to the UK? That I don't know. I think it has to be arranged beforehand. According to EU, EU rules, you are supposed to know the destination. But then we're not EU here, are we? <laughs> Bit of a grey so area. Now. So I don't know. But of course, this uh, I suppose it's got a lot of backing from a lot of people, the, the live exporting, uh, not just here, but around the world as well. Well, of course it has. Mm. Slavery made an awful lot of money. For the slave owners, it's the same with the animals. But of course, there's a lot of people involved in agriculture and farming around the world and in the Isle of Man. I mean, you'd look from their side where they're, they're trying to make a living. Well, yes, you do put tend to put people before cruelty. It was in the times of, sla of slavery. The slave owner was paid compensation. The slave owner was put before the slaves, and it's the same nowadays. Do you think these sort of campaigns, though, will, will ever eradicate it completely? I think things are changing. People are becoming vegan. Veganism is growing and I think veganism is the only way to stop cruelty to animals, to stop um, inhumane treatment and to allow animals to be themselves. We are animals after all. They think and feel just as we think and feel but we're happy to treat them in a, in a way that's less than the way we treat the stuff that the plants that we send to Ireland um, or the UK. From Ireland weekly we get loads and loads of beautiful mushrooms and I always buy Irish mushrooms. I've lived in Ireland, I know the Irish mushrooms are absolutely beautiful. But they're packed deliciously, packed carefully. When these animals are shipped abroad they're shoved in together, they're rolling around in muck, they're treading on one another, they arrive injured. They're treated in a way that is far less than the way we even treat mushrooms. Well, there we are, the views of Polly Foley, a campaign and petition initiator of a campaign to try and eradicate the live export of, uh, of animals uh, from the Isle of Man and around the world as well. It seems a big campaign. Of course, being countryside, Kerry, uh, we've heard from the, the Isle of Man meat side of it and producer side of it, you know, to try and eradicate this. Um, but a balanced view, we've got the views of somebody who's looking out from a, from a totally different point of view. And that is very important, Simon. And I'd just like to make a few points, though, that uh, farmers don't breed just to export. Um, there has been issues with the meat plant in the past, but like you say before, there's partners sought, so our plant is operating well and farmers are receiving equally the same amount as they are in the UK. So that maybe isn't a driving force for export. And... Um, They'd not just run out of a field either, Simon. The ear numbers are taken days before and they're picked for their qualities. You know, we have a really high health status here on the Isle of Man, disease-free, and these animals are sought for future breeding in the UK where they have massive problems with TB and such like. So not all animals leaving the island are actually going for meat. And they are inspected days before with, by veterinarians and their intended destinations are recorded so the animals can't wander from where they're supposed to be going to. And there is ministry checks on the quayside. Once they arrive off the ferry, there could be a 
spot check ministry and also uh, Department of Fair Trading to see that the animals are being transported properly. And the drivers of the lorries that are taking the move have to do competency exams every year for the handling and the welfare legislation because it's updated continuously in the UK in the Isle of Man. And um, once they arrive in the UK, they have to stay it triggers a six day standstill minimum standstill so they can't endure weeks and weeks of travel which happens around the rest of the world so we are very lucky and the use of the cattle prods is outlawed we cannot use it in the uk so that is always something that you know is being treated correctly there you go but the views there and of course uh, i suppose on the positive side of it one uh, great reason here on the alaman to keep a meat plant <laughs> Well, one thing we've certainly uh, got an abundance of uh, and various amounts of species as well here in the Isle of Man of birds, Kiri, and uh, an interesting uh, campaign that's been ran starting in January. That's right. Over half a million people across the UK spent an hour watching the birds that were visiting their gardens and their outdoor spaces. I caught up with Martin Foley to see what the survey was all about. So this is all about the RSPB's big garden bird watch and it's um, been going now for 40 years and we ask members of the um, public to look out their windows for an hour over the weekend and just to count the birds and let us know what they see. Um, and, you know... <laughs> almost half a million people across the UK took part and it gives us lots of really good data about how the birds in our gardens are doing so really really important baseline data for the state of nature in our gardens. And what were the main findings across the British Isles? So obviously by doing it for 40 years we can look at changes year to year but also the trends over long periods of time. So the number one bird in people's gardens this year was the house sparrow and that's been the same for a number of years but when you look over 40 years we can see that there's been this 56% decline that's almost that's more than half the numbers of sparrows in our gardens have disappeared over that last 40 years but if you just look at the last 10 years there seems to have been a little bit of a bounce back so from 2009 to 2019 house sparrows are doing a little bit better so there's some real bit of hope there we're seeing these long-term changes are you able to tell what's what are the main causes for the changes so the big garden bird watch data is one part of lots of different surveys that we do on lots of different habitats all across the UK. Um, so it's you know it's part of that jigsaw, and you know we know that that nature's in trouble not just in the UK but a across the across the globe, and um, you know it, within our gardens it reflects some of these wider problems. So um, loss of habitat, changes in what we do to our land, um, use of pesticides, things like that, and also climate change. And then more specifically in our gardens we've sort of changed the way in which we garden over the last 30, 40 years. Um, we like tidier gardens, um, but birds, or many species of birds, like those untidy places to nest and to find their insect food. So this combination of different things is having a, a negative effect on our birds. And looking at the results, in particular the smaller species, is that fair to say? Well, there's a, a real sort of um, mixture. So there's birds like the song thrush that um, I guess people of uh, my grandparents' generation would have, have known it, it it's it's a melodic song quite well that's had a massive crash um, but then there are birds like the goldfinch that you know when I was a kid 40 years ago um, just didn't see them in uh, gardens at all and they've now taken advantage of all the food um, that people put out so the, you know there are winners and there are losers yes and in the Isle of Man it was ranked fifth which is quite impressive really 
It is, and that's slightly higher than the UK as a as a whole because it was number six in the UK. But you know, you went back. If you go back 30, 40 years ago, you just wouldn't see these birds in gardens. They were birds of the open farmland, open fields, sort of um, edges of of woodland, um, and they've really made use and learned to make use of the food that we put out and you know to be honest looking out at, uh, in your uh, looking out your your kitchen window and seeing one of these amazing looking birds on the feeder it really is i mean they are just stunning to see really lifts the heart especially first thing in the morning it's been running now for 40 years is it something that people can take part in annually do you think martin Oh yeah, we we will keep it going for as long as people want to do it, and you know there's there's no sign that uh, people want to stop doing it. Um, as I said, it's only an hour once a year, and it contributes to the sort of wider picture. And you know, for people these days. Um, many of us have lost our connection to nature because we're busy, we've got um, busy lives, but we know from science that um, spending time outside, even if it's only for a short time, has such positive effects on our physical and mental health that it really is important to just try and make time to to take that time and, and just sort of connect with nature. You don't really need any special equipment to take part in the bird watching, do you? You don't. Um, I think, you know, part of the fun is just seeing what's out there. You don't need to be an expert. You don't necessarily need to put a name to the bird that you see. It's just about knowing what's out there, seeing what's out there, and just taking that time, as I said, away from phones and iPads and um, computers and just reconnecting with the sort of natural environment. It's incredibly good for us. And just to comment on, the wren is special to us here on the Isle of Man, and there seems to be an unfortunate decline in the sightings this year. There has this year, and we're still trying to get to the bottom of why that is. Now, last year, um, we had particularly high numbers, and that was just before the beast from the east hit. Um, and then, obviously, you know, we're trying to work out how that that weather affected our garden birds, and birds more um, generally. And, obviously, when it gets really, really cold, it's the small birds that suffer um, the greatest, just because it's more difficult for them to uh, survive in prolonged cold weather. So... We're not sure if the decrease in wrens is a reflection of that weather or whether it's just a sort of, you know, an annual blip. Humans are part of nature. There's no getting away from that. And, and nature and the environment is responsible for our clean air, our clean water, the food that we eat. Um, so, you know, it's not a, a, an added extra. It's, it's not a nice thing to have. It's absolutely essential. And birds provide, um, you know, it's the canary in the coal mine. They tell us when things aren't right and they're... They're brilliant at, at doing that. So by, you know, um, watching birds, uh, counting birds and letting us know what's happening in the wider in the wider gardens across the UK, it gives us a really good indicator and then means that, you know, organisations such as the RSPB can do what they can to try and make sure that, that, that the environment's in a healthy state. That was Martin Foley from the Royal Society of the Protection of Birds. Yeah, the poor little wren, eh? Little Jenny Wren. I remember singing that for the Guild once. My little golly. Jenny Wren, have you ever, ever heard? Oh, you should enter again this year, Simon. Not too late now. <laughs> but it, very interesting, and the people involved in uh, the RSPB, you know, taking time to carry out these surveys because there's so many different species of birds and it's it's lovely even the Manx Wildlife Trust who we'll be hearing from soon you know that they're interested in 
keep an eye on numbers whether some are declining and some are increasing is very interesting that's right it was lovely to see how the isle of man fared in the survey you know we were quite well up there but it's also the loss of connection like martin was saying to nature we need to get outside and you know keep an eye on the birds and the animals around us it's so important for pollination and the environment and it's important for our own health as well get outside and enjoy it but obviously you've got to feed the birds too so you know if you've got a spare bit of nuts and bread about put them out and it'd be nice to see how many visitors you get to the garden mm, a bag. <laughs> You're listening to Countryside here on Manx Radio with Kiri Kermode and myself, Simon Clark. Well, we mentioned the Manx Wildlife Trust and uh, Dawn Dickens, she's the Biodiversity Education Officer at the Trust and the members of their team took their roadshow to the old courthouse in Ramsey last week and I put it to Dawn that it was quite a spectacular display. It is an incredible display. Uh, um, Graham from um, the Max Wildlife Trust has worked really hard pulling it all together. And Lloyds Bank has sponsored all of the um, display, which is just absolutely fantastic. So what have you been doing? What, what brought you up to Ramsey? Um, basically, um, Ramsey Town Commissioners offered us use of the courthouse for a week, um, which is just absolutely fantastic because they're very keen on getting people into the middle of town and everything seemed to tie together really, really well. We're um, doing a big push about Wilder Future and looking after wildlife and caring for it for um, the future. When you look around to all these wonderful displays, you've got people talking now, I think about hedgehogs as well. Yes, we are. Um, at the moment, we've got um, a hedgehog tunnel workshop about to take place. Um, we do a lot of monitoring of wildlife on the island, and one of the things that we um, have started is um, a hedgehog tunnel monitoring, which is basically, um, if you can just see behind you, a little tunnel that looks like a pyramid. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you basically put um, food in the middle, and hedgehogs being very nosy and also liking their food, go inside the tunnel, um, and they walk over an ink trap and leave their footprints on the paper behind and it's just a delightful way to engage in nature and that does that help you keep track of them and count them and things it does it, it gives us an idea of where the hedgehogs are on the island we can't say what numbers are there from it because obviously we don't know how many hedgehogs have left those footprints but if we sustain this over several years, it'll get built up a picture of how our hedgehog population is doing, if it's um, building up or it's decreasing. People haven't stuck them, uh, kids haven't put them outside the front doors of their £1,000 shag pile carpets for the hedgehogs to walk in the house. Uh, no, 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 no. It gets very, very messy because the ink that we use is um, carbon, powder carbon, and it is very very messy and you mix it up with oil so it stays wet for longer and I can assure you anything that goes in there gets covered in black carbon ink but it's irreplaceable information and feedback that you're getting from this though it certainly is um, I know Nottingham University are particularly interested um, obviously across they have um, big declines in the hedgehog populations and part of the thing they're wondering it's whether um, badgers and foxes are predating on the hedgehogs. Well, obviously on the Alamam, we don't have either of those species. So um, they'd like to draw comparisons between similar areas and it might tell them a lot. So 
we've got a lot to tell the world about our hedgehogs. But uh, all in all, there's, there's, there's some talks going on now and there's young and old in here, which is encouraging, particularly from your side of your, your role, I suppose. It certainly is. Um, I mean, obviously, hedgehogs are very engaging species. They are. Everyone who looks at a hedgehog smiles. Mm just put it like that um, but it is nice because obviously we're very keen to engage the younger generation if they're not interested they're not going to want to protect for the future but it's interesting reading on the boards here about um, particularly because there's gin producers on the island as well I suppose when you see uh, stories about Glen Alden with the juniper bushes and things that uh, try to encourage them back Yes, that's right. And um, they've already, we've already been in talks, funny enough, with the gin producers, and they're looking at um, using herbs as well from the island to flavour all the different gins. Yeah, because it, part of it, you know, you talk about hedgehogs, you talk about bats and things, but of course, um, the flora and fauna, isn't it? It certainly is. I mean, it's a whole gamut out there. It's a whole ecosystem. And the thing is, it actually affects everyone, whether you're interested in wildlife or not. If there's phytoplankton in the sea falling in numbers, that will affect the whole oxygen cycle. And whether you're interested in that or not, it will have an impact on your life. And you look at how naive people can be in the countryside in a way when you read that story that somebody dug up the trees to try and save them and of course they died you know yes, but yeah. they meant well yes yeah it's, it's about so it's, it's yeah. better to, to try and find out a bit more information before you do anything in a way isn't it yes that's what we're hoping to do is to go out and educate people about our wildlife the importance of it and how to look after it as well i think a lot of people are very aware that we're losing wildlife and they do want to make an impact. So this exhibition as well talks about all the different ways you can do it. And what about the feedback you've had? Have you had lots of good questions from people? Yes, we have. We've had um, some lovely feedback. People have really enjoyed the display. It's very thought-provoking because we're tackling areas that maybe people haven't thought about before. And, and what like sort of areas are that? Plastic waste, um, things like pollution on island um, just trying to consider all the things that actually impact on our wildlife I mean the, the, the plastic situation of course has been rife in the news at the moment and I think people now where a couple of years ago they were sort of ignorant towards it I suppose if I can put it nicely where now people have be, had this education and a lot more aware of the damage that, they, that it can do they certainly are I mean things like um We've got nurdles on display here. Nurdles? Yes, it sounds really... Explain. Right, nurdles are actually like um, a lentil size uh, pellet of plastic and it's used in the manufacture of plastic. So those pellets are shipped all around the world in containers. Now, we don't have a plastic industry on the island and we truly thought that we wouldn't have a problem with these nurdles washing up because what happens, the containers that they're transported in might be washed overboard the boats. Sometimes they're spilt at the factory site and washed down in the rivers, get into the water cycle. Um, so we honestly thought we didn't have a major problem. Um, I took a student out onto Port Erin Beach. We did um, a search for them for an hour. And I think we ended up with something like 143. Really? Which I thought, well, actually, I thought, ooh, is that bad or not? Mm -hmm. I thought maybe it might be quite good. Went online. There's um, a website called The Great Nerdle Hunt. And actually, we're in one of the highest categories, which was really, really shocking to find out. But all in all, it looks as though it's been a 
uh, well worth coming uh, north for, for this particular week. Yes, certainly, I hope so. Um, I hope people have got a lot out of the exhibition. And it's not just going to stop here, it is going to go to other places on the island. It's going to um, go to the atrium in the airport at one point. Mm. So keep yeah. an eye out for it. If you didn't make it up here, it's still going to go around. <laughs> there countryside of course manx wildlife trust getting involved with that wonderful exhibition and they had all the displays there people talking about hedgehogs various things and all the information all on the boards and as dawn says there dawn dickens the um they're going to go around different parts of the island man with this display as well and it's really great to see young and old paying a lot of interest in that and they had the the, the blocks like a massive you know the the blocks that you build with like wooden planks, like little miniature sleepers. You play the game. Oh, you're not Jenga. Men- you're not allowed to mention it. Oh, So they're really? not allowed to call it that. <laughs> so it has to be a building block game, I, I think, because of the copyright thing with it. But there you go. But that was very, very interesting. And, of course, uh, hearing from Polly Foley uh, about, um, I would say more so, a worry around different places of the world where, you know, the export of live animals can be many, many days in some cases, you know, in, in boats and ships and... Uh, Hopefully this, of course, has been happening on the Isle of Man because, you know, the, the, the farmers and meat producers have had no alternative uh, off the last few years other than to get anywhere and by exporting animals uh, off the island live. But, of course, with this new deal that the meat plant has struck up, hopefully that will go a long way to uh, uh, diminishing that uh, quite respectively as well because I'd like to say that, you know, you first-hand experience you've seen it and my wife's a vet she's seen it as well that uh, everything seems to be checked very thoroughly before it happens on the isle of man doesn't it? oh it really is mm. simon and the farmer wants the animals to arrive at their destination in the best possible condition it's very different from the rest of the world and um a credit to the vets here they, they monitor them keep an eye on them and to the farmers and uh, we have quite a, quite a good system but nothing is easier than keeping them on the isle of man yeah it wouldn't be right without finishing countryside with bit of a chat about the birds and the bees absolutely <laughs> why not and as it's coming into summer as well simon it's, it's important that people take a minute to take in the lovely scenery we have here on the island and to look after the birds and bees around us because they're so important to life for pollination of and just new life generally isn't it yeah indeed all right thank you and our producer over this series sarah hendy as well she's done a sterling job as always and thank you for your contributions and other people who have uh, volunteered their time to come on to countryside we're back mid-june with the next series of Countryside. So for me, Simon Clark. And me, Kiri Kermit. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.